Hello and welcome to another episode of Rodcast with me, Lee Durrant, and my co-host, Teresa Durrant. Um, today, we are talking to three Salesforce uh, industry legends about the topic of counter-offers. I'm not sure if you've ever resigned from a, from a role only to be counter-offered, or perhaps you've owned a business and you have uh, counter-offered someone that's looked to resign from your business. It's a hot topic. Um, we're still... As, as of recording, this is July 2021. Um, COVID is kind of coming out the back of COVID, but it certainly um, seems to be very ripe at the moment in, South, in the Southwest ecosystem. Um, so counter offers is a hot topic, and I thought it'd be great to get the opinions of Penny Townsend, Vera Loftus, and Ben McCarthy, who's also known as Salesforce Ben. Um, they've all got some great opinions on on all sides of counter-offers, whether they have previously been in a situation where they've been counter-offered themselves, or in situations where somebody's resigned from their business and they have or have not decided to counter-offer them and sort of how it went. So a great, great podcast to listen to um, if you're in that um, process yourself. Um, some really good views from the guys. Hope you enjoy it. Let's welcome our guests on this podcast today. We have with us um, Penny Townsend. Hello, Penny. Hi, Lee. Hi, everyone. Third, Hello. T- third time you've been with us. So thank you very much. Um, and equally, Vera, it's your third time, I think, with us on this podcast. So hello to you. Hello. I'm hoping third time's a charm. <laughs> they've always been. They've always been charming. And we, we've got as well a uh, first time with us, but probably his millionth podcast. We've got Ben McCarthy, uh, also known as Salesforce Ben. Hi, Ben. How you doing, mate? Hello. Yeah, very well. Thanks a lot for the invite. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming on. And this is, a, 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 as I mentioned in the introduction, a, a particular conversation about counteroffers. Um, I think it's rife possibly everywhere, but it's definitely rife at the moment in the Salesforce market. I don't know if you guys are aware of this because I appreciate you're sort of in the middle of it. But as recruiters, we have noticed like you know because we're in the middle of covid still or coming out the end of it it's just been absolutely crazy in terms of people you know wanting to leave for whatever reason and we'll, we'll touch base on that and then, and then basically being being counter offered crazy money to stay where they are it's i've never known it so so well for a better word bad but it, it, maybe it's a good thing i don't know but uh, that's why we're talking Teresa looks like yeah. she wants to say something no 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 i was just um gonna say yeah absolutely it's um we know that there's a, a skill shortage at the moment and perhaps we can perhaps touch base on some of those reasons that we think that's happening uh, aside from obviously Brexit having a huge impact on that. And also I think COVID where perhaps some skills that were in the UK have now you know, gone back home to sort of various countries and uh, across Europe, we, we found quite a, a big impact on that. Um, but just to touch base on why we think that this might be quite a big phenomenon at the moment with them um, counter offers going on. Um, so perhaps we'll throw it over to you guys since you're probably hiring or looking to hire at the moment. So yeah, what, what do you think? Uh, do we, should we, Vera, do you want to go first? What's yeah, your, happy what's your to. take on possibly why it's so... Not so I, I think everybody... It's one of those things, right? I think coming out of lockdown, everybody's now starting to breathe again and people are starting to look, right? 
So, you know, people who were probably not super satisfied in their job, that's probably exacerbated by having to work from home and COVID. And now that it feels like the world is opening up, I think people feel secure enough to start kind of poking their head up and seeing what is out there. Um, I think that combined with the fact that because employers are not back in the office, you know, when you lose people, you are having to interview through virtual or digital means. And there's this kind of anxiety about people going, right? You you want to hold on to the people that you know until things kind of stabilize. So I feel like the insecurity with the employer is is probably going to last us longer than, you know, the the excitement and the will to be looking for the employee. So those timelines, I think, are not matching up anymore. And it used to be a situation, right, where, fine, someone leaves, it's unfortunate, but, you know, I can go out and find someone else. And I do think that as the ecosystem gets more and more incestuous, you know, it's it's harder and harder to replace people. Um, and I think that's probably the top of everybody's mind, I think, as much as, you know, we've been trying to promote, you know, self-exploration and training and education during this, you know, working from home. I don't want to say downtime because it's been the opposite of downtime, but, you know, periods of reflection. I still think there hasn't been, you know, a massive push in terms of upskilling the current environment. And so there is, this, you know, the skills gap that was there ages ago. And now that, the market is picking up, you know, people can't afford to be without resources. They've they've mm. lost a lot of money in the last year. And consultancies are just now starting to get back into the world of projects kicking off. And, and now is when you need people. And yeah, I think there's anxiety that when the money is now coming in, I won't have the people to, to actually fulfill it. And so I'm going to try my hardest to, to keep hold of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what about you, Penny and, and Ben? How have you, I mean, do you agree with that? Or do you have some different takes on it? Yeah, I do. I, I agree very much with what Vera was saying. I think that this has been a challenge that's been on its way for several years, actually, and that probably Brexit and COVID have just exacerbated a problem that was already there. When I think back to when I was working in Conga, I felt that there was a big difference between the Salesforce SI space in Paris compared to London. So in Paris, there, there were a lot more kind of evenly sized boutique firms where junior people could learn their skills and grow through their careers. I think if we look at um, the UK, especially over the last 18 months, there's been so much consolidation of firms that there aren't enough places for people to learn the skills and grow. And I'd really appreciate Ben's take on this but I think a lot of the kind of most experienced people then end up going out either contracting on their own or um, starting up maybe their own um, company uh, either as an SI or as an app partner and that effectively takes them out of the game as mentors and teachers for younger people in the industry and that just exacerbates this skills gap that was already present I think. Yeah, Ben, do you have, do you have a take on that? Yeah, completely agree with Vera and Penny. I think um, 
I guess um, my my kind of not like obviously I, I used to run Empower, so I've got knowledge of kind of um, the SI world from them. But I do speak to quite a lot of SIs at the moment, mostly in kind of the the smaller medium size area. And, and I think a lot of people did have a really struggled a lot throughout the past um, you know uh, twelve months during COVID. But it has picked up so much. And I know quite a lot of consultancies have got some really really big deals now. And in these smaller consultancies, you've got a few individuals which are, are really key. Um, and if these individuals want to go then it can it can really cripple the consultancy it can cripple some of the deals they've been working on um so i i think that's one of the reasons that it's probably counter office is probably so rife but i also think there's so many good opportunities in the ecosystem at the moment so um uh, some of the isvs that are floating around you know the amount of investment going to these isvs are, uh, is crazy at the moment um and i know a lot of people that are moving to these these isvs are also moving to end users like um like unicorns that are using salesforce now which are you know it's a very, very different world working for an end user, maybe possibly lower stress, um, but still working on quite a lot of Salesforce product projects and uh, sorry products um, and learning quite a lot. So I think I think there's probably a few reasons, but but that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, okay. sounds about right. I mean, for, from well, I think it would be interesting to, to now talk about whether you guys have ever been involved, and I'm sure you have, because you, you, you've you've all you know been an employee, but also as someone who has. Um, hired people so do any of you have a particular scenario when you've either been counter-offered as a you know person looking to leave or on the flip side the sort of person that has decided I don't want to lose this person I'm going to obviously counter-offer them and, and kind of how that went Vera are you, are you ready to say something yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always love a good story um so I'll, I'll go with a personal experience first because I yeah, just to put it out there, I'm against counter offers, but you're not going to hear that in any of my stories. So just to be clear, um, but I was I was at a stage in my career where I was looking for a pretty dramatic change, um, and as you do, right, you start looking around, and then you think, oh, something quite interesting has come up. And I wasn't um, I wasn't in a place where I hated my job. I loved the organization. I just kind of needed a change, um, and part of that actually was. I was, this was back in my early consulting days where I was on the road constantly, you know, I was traveling kind of 48 weeks a year. Um, so it was both a, a lifestyle thing and a, just a career progression um, mm. component and got an offer, you know, went to my boss at the time and said, I'm leaving. And it was one of those situations because I think that as people start to evaluate leaving an organization, you kind of have to mentally make some hard decisions there, right? Like you shouldn't be playing with fire in terms of negotiating like oh i'm going to go out and get more money so that i can get a counter offer because that's when this all gets very dangerous but so i i had the true intent of going um to this other organization and it was that time um actually that blue came back and said we've got this amazing job and it's it's what moved me to london but they're like we've got this amazing role you know we were going to put you up for it anyway um but we just we weren't sure with kind of you know what was happening when the timing was and it was one of those opportunities that was net new. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that I had considered, right? If I had thought Blue Wolf had a role for me that I really wanted, I would have just asked for it. Um, but I didn't know this existed. And, and equally, I think they were truthful in the fact that they would have presented it had you know the timing been right. But now it kind of accelerated things. Um, and it was one of those moments where, yeah, I didn't actually want to leave the organization. I just wanted a change. And this was a dramatic change. It was going to move me across the world it was going to give me a brand new role and it felt right to stay um 
equally, I think if I had been in a position where mentally I had fallen out of love with the organization or, you know, Salesforce or consulting or any of those things, then I should have left. But I think it depends really on your motivation, right? And I think, I'm sure everybody will share stories, but I just don't think money can needs to play a role in it. It shouldn't, right? You need to be leaving for all the right reasons. Um, so yeah, it was, had they come back and just said, keep doing your same role, but for double the money, I think I would have still left. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the fundamental reason of, of why you looked in the first place and, and can the organization solve that with something that you as an employee didn't know existed, um, which is often difficult and, and impossible in some situations. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, what, what I suppose the, the fact that you mentioned if it had been, have been about money, um, I suppose, what would have been the option for you then? I mean, would, would you have gone to your employer first and sort of spoken to them about the pay increases? Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, and, and I've had a lot of, um, I've had a lot of employees over the years, you know, come to me and say, look, I'm in a situation where, you know, I need more, I need more money. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I can remember somebody having a baby and being like, it's really tight at home. Um, and that's the best case scenario. I think both for the employer and the employee, because then you can have a transparent conversation, right? Then you can say, okay, you tell me honestly what it's going to take. What do you need? I, I will go, you know, round the houses and figure out honestly, if I can make that work and, and what we're going to, you know, extra responsibilities we're going to give you and how, how we'll craft, you know, the package to, to work for everybody. But it means that the problem is solvable. Yeah. I think if people try to get clever and say, oh, I'll go get a, I'll go get a new job for, you know, more money and then I'll come back and say, oh, look at this new job I've gotten. Mm. We're in a, you know, A, you've mentally gone outside of the organization. So I'm never going to get that back from you, right? Like there's an element of once you start looking around, I think you disconnect emotionally, uh, which is part of an issue if you do genuinely want to stay. And then, you know, as an employer, it backs me into a corner. I don't like that. If you need more money, come and talk to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, don't tell me I have to pay you more money and hold me for ransom. As an employer, I actually won't do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's very good. Um, ben, did you have a, a point on that as well? Have you ever been in that situation yourself? Um, yeah. I've, I've, when I was at Empower, we we counter-offered a few people, and it was all – and, and I, I kind of agree with Vera. I don't necessarily believe in counter-offers because I, I, th- I d- never really think it's just about money. Um, I think if – when it, the, the kind of culture we had, it was – kind of open and transparent so if people did need more money they would uh they would come and talk to talk to their manager or me generally um but there were a few examples but to be honest we mainly made them out of desperation because because like you know we're a small organization always very very tight with um uh tight with resources so you know the counter offer would be made but it'd be kind of be made a bit a bit, you know, we, we, we wouldn't feel great about it because at the same time, we would know this person probably isn't really truly happy um, if they are going out there and looking for another role, but we do need to keep that person. Um, so at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, even, I mean, I think a couple of them got accepted or maybe one counteroffer got accepted, but um, a couple of them didn't. Um, but at the same time, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, should we go out and start preparing to look for for another individual, even if this person has accepted, right. um, because you know they you know they might have accepted now for the money, but there's probably some underlying issues, which means they they will be looking to leave at some point. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Penny, I know obviously with, with your experience, you you must have either either 
been counter offered as, as an individual or possibly offered a counter offer although I'm not sure if you have but um what's your take on that yeah I just I don't really go for that at all I've got a very zero tolerance policy on that I would neither make one nor ever accept one and actually when I've always resigned a job I think I've tried to do so in a way to not solicit a counter offer because um yeah I've got quite strong feelings about them I think that it's a huge mistake I think for uh for both parties it's if somebody's got to the point where they've resigned then they didn't feel they could talk to you about money yeah. And so if you're an employer and you want to have that conversation with them, then really it, it's too late. Like, you, you know, there's something, there's a problem in the relationship that meant that they couldn't talk to you about money. I hope that everybody that, that I work with would feel that they could talk to me about money if that was their main issue at work and why they were thinking of looking elsewhere. And so for me, I wouldn't make a counter offer because I would think there's something else going on here. Something else is wrong. It's not really about the money. And similarly for me, when I've been looking for a job and or I've been approached for a job and it's it's been more money, then that would never be enough just on its own. There, there has to be you know more to it than that. Um, or I, I would talk to to work about it. So yeah, f- for me, I, I don't buy into the whole counter offers space. That, 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 that's really interesting. I mean, uh, I, I suppose a question probably to throw out then is, um, what could employers do to, to to I suppose in a way enable employees to be able to bring that topic up? Because, um, like you said. Um, Penny, if people can't feel like they can approach their their line manager or their boss or whoever it is that they're reporting into, what could companies do to ensure that employees have a safe place where they can actually have that conversation? Because, I mean, ultimately, it'd save people a lot of pain (laughs) if they could just literally sit down with their boss and say, hey, look, I I, need money or I need a challenge or whatever it is they need within their career. Yeah, and I guess that's what makes me wonder whether there's more to it than that, especially in a, a such a busy jobs environment like we're in at the moment in Salesforce. I think that, I, I don't know about Vera and Ben, but certainly for me when I'm interviewing people, rarely does money come up as a topic. Right? They, that Everybody knows it's very competitive financially. It's, it's, you know, we're having to up our game on what we spend on hiring people. But what folks are looking for is who am I going to learn for from in this job? What are the new exciting opportunities that I'm only going to get here? Uh, what's my work life balance going to be? What's your hybrid working look like? Those are the hot topics from the folks that I'm interviewing rather than just kind of, you know, what's the number? What can you pay me? Um, and so I think that 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 means it's not really about the money. Um, but in terms of if you're you're talking about how you manage people, really, mm. if you know, people should be able to go to HR if they feel like they're being underpaid, or you need to create a culture where the relationship between everyone and their manager is such that people feel okay talking about that stuff. Um, and I think that is all related though to our squeeze on people. 
uh, we're promoting people into management roles maybe earlier than they're ready sometimes because we're struggling to fill vacancies in the Salesforce yeah. space. And, you know, I think that whole thing kind of feeds feeds into it itself. So you end up with people kind of learning on the job a little bit mm-hmm. and maybe they're not always getting it right. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It was um, leads into the next kind of question on the list we have here, which was, I mean, we've we focused a lot on money, haven't we, with this this conversation so far? But if the motivation, in our experience, the motivation can sometimes be, you know, just like like Vera said earlier on, just I feel like I need to be doing something different, or my career isn't progressing at this particular company, um, and then when they come to resign, magically some opportunity pops its head up that they didn't know about. Um, do you think? that sometimes has uh, that that's something people need to think about when they're looking to leave that they should really think about their reasons their motivation uh, rather than it just being money because uh, i know that's just this is sort of a topic that as recruiters we're talking to people all the time why are you on the market what, is it fixable um so i think what, what i'm hearing so far is that it, it people really should be called, speaking to their bosses um if it's an, an issue that can be fixed before they go out to the market um i don't know if that's a fair point Teresa, because also you're in recruitment as well yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I suppose I also do some career coaching and stuff like that as well. And quite often it, it, it really is understanding people's motiv- motivations because it isn't about the money. And I kind of, in some respects, if people are making a knee-jerk reaction to counter-offers, particularly in a market where, you know, we've, we've heard several thousands of pounds are being thrown at people, in some, in some instances, almost like double their current salary, the problem then it can sort of stunt their career growth because they end up being overpaid for the kind of role that they're in. In a few months' time, when they are genuinely looking for a new opportunity because they want to grow, you know, their skills and abilities, and that they they find themselves priced out of the market because there are other employers who just say on paper they're not worth um, what they're looking for as a salary. So it's it's. We talk to people all the time about you really, really have to understand your motivations because if you get it wrong at this part in your career, you could actually pay for it for several years. Um, what, what are your thoughts uh, around that? Yeah, I, 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 I definitely can see it from both ways, actually. So I think... Um... I think some people that I've that I've seen or CVs that I've seen and salaries that I've seen are just so inflated, and I, th- I think that probably is the counter offer culture, um, as well as people you know jumping ship just for money. Um, but I've also seen it the other way, where junior ish Salesforce people, you know, one two years, three years, um, are being vastly underpaid, mm. um, and I think they're being so underpaid that they just don't feel that 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 they have a they have a future of that company maybe they don't like the culture um but you know because because most people at that company are being quite low paid low paid and so we hired a few people that were on you know in the 20s and gave them salaries of like 40s that had maybe three years three years salesforce experience um and i I think that is quite rife in the market and it does does happen quite a lot um so yeah I i think it can happen both ways as well yeah absolutely curious to ask ben um what what happened when you said earlier on about you know you guys have, have counter offered people in power just out of interest what what happened to those people that, that accept in a stay don't and you know no names mentioned obviously <laughs> um i think after a certain amount of time anyway um i i i because i think um i think this individual is still there actually um i i left back in september so i'm not i'm not completely mm. up to date um so i think that individual is still there but possibly a bit 
rocky i'm not too sure um and and yeah the, the other ones didn't get accepted because it was it just was i mean i if i was them i wouldn't have accepted those counter offers um you know we we offered them because we we felt like we had to and we would have been, been a bit screwed if if they did leave so it was worth a shot um but if i was in their position i definitely would have wouldn't have taken the counter offer <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate the honesty on that really um do, and do you think and and perhaps penny you can answer this one first um be uh, do you think people are treated differently if they, and we've kind of touched on this already, but if they resign, you counter offer them, they stay. And I appreciate for you, this hasn't, this isn't a situation that's actually happened, but it'd be interesting to get your take on it. Do you then as the employer possibly treat them a little differently every time they are, uh, they're sick or they have a holiday? Do you kind of then, the trust is gone a little bit, even though it might not be a conscious thing. Do you not subconsciously just think, oh, they're off interviewing again, are they? Do you know what I mean? Do you think that happens? I think there is a risk of that culture um, kind of happening, which is is one of the reasons why I I, I definitely wouldn't uh, give people kind of counter offers like that. But I think the other thing that we sometimes see is people who haven't gone out and found a new job, but are maybe saying, uh, I am going to go and look for something else unless I get promoted or unless you pay me more. And sometimes those are people who who aren't performing at the level where you want to promote them yet. So, I mean, a principle I have as a as a leader is to kind of to be fairly even in people's pay. I wouldn't want people on a similar level to have big differentials between their pay. Mm. And so I'm not going to respond to that always. But then those people that kind of do those threatening sort of behaviours, I think, can create a bit of that culture. So it's, it's definitely it's another reason not to do it. And um, I, I also wouldn't be creating a job to get someone to stay, because then again, I think that's very countercultural. If you're going to create a new role, I think you create it, you advertise it internally, you have the best candidate go into that job. You know, it's a bit of the not negotiating with terrorists, you know, somebody mm-hmm. that's trying to hold you to ransom unless it's a particular skill that you want them to be showing in their job. That's you don't really want to be rewarding that kind of behavior, um, I don't think. Okay. Vera, you look like you you wanted to say something there <laughs> lots of nodding very vigorously <laughs> it's just because penny's too nice um <laughs> so i agree penny would not hold it against people probably i on the other hand um yeah i absolutely i, I have and i would like to penny's point i completely agree like i i don't really give counter offers historically um i don't believe in them because i think that mentally once somebody has decided to leave they they actually should go um and i think you're probably better off with them realizing the grass isn't always greener, you know, and coming back, which I think is, is a better success story than, than keeping somebody through a counteroffer. But that being said, I, we have had a couple of situations where, you know, someone put us in a situation where we desperately needed them on a project and it was a very specific skill set and we did counter and they accepted. And yeah, I think there's, as, as a human, there's always a part of you that holds that over them, you know, and I think, not necessarily being worried about them going out and interviewing again, but I think when you think about loyalty, which is, you know, a, it's not necessarily impl- important to every employer, but it is to me. And, you know, when you think about weighing people up and who's going to get, you know, this next bonus, who's going to get this next incentive, this next promotion, mm. it, it has to play in the back of your mind. Mm. Um, 
you know, whether we whether we do it subconsciously or not. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, we are all humans. And whilst we talk about the company wanting to keep hold of that skill set, I mean, ultimately, you're still a person. And if you've invested time as a manager um, into trying to to upskill them and, you know, help them in their career, I suppose, in a way, it can feel like a personal attack because it feels like they're rejecting you. Um, So that's quite an interesting point is that people really need to consider at the other end of this employment relationship there is still a person that they're interacting with um and people can feel all sorts of feelings as an employee perhaps being rebuffed over a a pay increase but also as an employer when you're thinking hang on a second i've given you so much time and effort and and suddenly that loyalty doesn't mean anything so yeah yeah it's quite interesting i mean what do you guys think think for me like if if someone offered me um extra money to stay i think my reaction would be, well, so how long exactly have you been underpaying me? <laughs> you know? Where did you find this money in the sofa? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, when do we backdate that to, right? Which is definitely one of the reasons that I don't offer it, because if I was to think that somebody is working above and beyond what I'm paying them, I'd like to think that I'm on top of that mm. and I'm the decent thing to do as a leader and manager is to address that not wait for that person to quit right and and so that's also I think that's where this whole counter offer thing undermines the relationship both ways so like Mm -hmm. to Vera's point about you lose some trust in that person because you question their motivations similarly for the employee they should also be losing confidence in their leadership about how they're going about managing the whole salary situation and that was definitely ben's point and i totally agree with that so i mean just out of interest i mean on on that subject is you know what what could employers be doing a bit more to to address that that pay differential when it comes to underpaying people i think you've got to be proactive to some extent um i I think a lot of the people i remember you know we've tend we quite a lot of people we hired were fairly junior you know like when I say junior I mean like three years so kind of like mid-level and a lot of these people were vastly underpaid and I think if those employers were a bit more proactive um you know it, it could have kept them because I think money was the main motivation just because it was such a vast difference I mean you're talking like yeah like mid-20s to, to mid-40s you know a 20k increase mm. um so you know I, I think even even if you do have a nice culture and you 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 think everyone is giving you feedback you know some people are uncomfortable talking about salary um we we had a open like a transparent um salary policy at empower and people were expected the the um the managers wouldn't wouldn't really be proactive the employers were expected to kind of enter a salary um process which is quite interesting so that that was the culture but people were still a little bit uncomfortable about about doing that themselves um so i i really think the employer has to have a, a handle on it and what people are being paid and what is fair yeah and and there's a um there's always a sort of third party in this equation as well um we think and i'm not just talking about recruiters obviously we're here doing doing some some sort of work and it's very frustrating for us um when when counter offers are accepted but as i'm sure uh, all three of you maybe have interviewed people and taken time out of your busy days to do that and possibly have your your teams do that to then offer them a job and to then find out they've they've resigned and stayed where they were how does how does that feel and what do you think the wider ecosystem thinks of people that have done that 
um, when they inevitably come back on the market again. Have you ever seen a CV and gone, well, that six months ago, I did offer them and they stayed where they were. So I'm not going to talk to them again. You're nodding, Vera. So I'll go to you again if you. Yeah, yeah. Happy to. I mean, I think you bring up a good point, Lee, because I think outside of everything, we all have to remind ourselves that this is a really small ecosystem and it is fairly incestuous. And the decisions that you make, whether it is taking a counteroffer, you know, taking a new job, like all of those, you know, are reflected in, you know, your place in this ecosystem. And I do think people talk, you know, it, it might not necessarily be you wanting to go back to that same organization that you accepted and then didn't join, it potentially could be a different organization. But, you know, I think there's a very small group of people at the top and you wouldn't want to taint your reputation. I think part of that is down to how you handle the situation. Mm-hmm. So to your point, you know, am I am I pulling out of the offer immediately? And I'm, you know, am I supposed to turn up on Monday and I don't show? Like what what's my um how you know what's my articulation of, of why and how and when um i think assuming somebody is reasonable and and is willing to have a conversation and has some really good reasons for staying and they're an adult about it i think it's fine i think part of the issue though is in most cases and i'll blame it on you guys you recruiters um you know that dialogue doesn't exist right and so you kind of just hear from the recruiter oh they're gonna stay and you're like well that guy's an asshole. Do you know what I mean? But there's no dialogue around, you know, why um, and how it impacts your business. So, you know, if I plan to hire you and I plan to put you on a project and now I'm delayed on that project because I don't have the resource, that puts me in quite a difficult position with that client. It also gives me a bench of people that I wasn't expecting. So it's costing me money every day. Um, So I do think, you know, as, as the folks in the ecosystem, we need to be conscious of how our actions impact individuals and businesses and just be conscious that you've got to make the right decision for you and you know in some cases you know very extreme versions accepting the counter offer might be right but you just have to manage that carefully um and and be as transparent as possible and i think that's a really good point actually because i mean we we you know obviously we we're sort of talking from a recruitment angle here but the fact that you say to, to act like an adult around it, at the end of the day, if there's good reasons for staying, then fantastic. You know, it, it, it's good to have that conversation. However, in our experience, what tends to happen is we get um, an email or a text message never to actually be able to have a conversation with that candidate Ghosted. about it. So yeah. it's difficult because we want to give the feedback for the client because, it, you know, it, it could be something they could improve in their interview process. Yeah. Um, to address certain questions at that part of the stage. Um, but of course, we you don't get that opportunity to have that discussion because like Lee says, you end up getting ghosted and you know that, that's, that's not good because you, as a recruiter, you, you become reluctant about potentially putting that candidate forward for more roles because you're thinking, well, are they gonna do it again? So they could be missing out on fabulous opportunities. And rightly so, as an employer, you're thinking, well, why did that person go off the radar? What did I do wrong? What could I do better? And obviously, all the time that was invested in, in you know, because you guys are busy, recruitment's just a part of what you do. And to take yourself off a project to be interviewing people, you don't get that time back. So it's, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the way you handle it that's most, more important. And Ben, do you have any, any input on that? Or, or, or Penny, sorry, um, I saw you just come off mute there. Penny, well, for, for me, sorry, I would say that while while we definitely see that with people um, 
we've had a couple in the last year or so that had accepted our job offer, had quite long notice periods to serve and towards the end of their notice period changed their mind. And mm. that is really, really difficult for us. You know, if you're hiring a key role, um, like Vera said, you've, you've planned work around this person joining you and then they let you down. That's tough because you guys know how long it takes to find these people for these, these big roles. Um, but oftentimes it's not just that they stay where they are. There's a real gazumping culture happening at the moment. And I don't know if Ben and Vera are seeing this, but like I'll be maybe looking for candidates, even for a kind of mid-level consultant role. And I'll get sent a candidate. And like seriously, before I even interview them, the recruiter is letting me know oh look they've already had an offer that's 20 grand more than their current salary from some other company so if I like them when I interview them we have to move really really quickly and and I think that that pace because of the skills shortage is is probably the the, the biggest challenge of people just staying in multiple processes even after they've accepted an offer and then making their decision once they've got multiple offers on the table I, I, I'm seeing that quite a bit at the moment you mentioned about the notice period as well and Ben I will jump in I'll get you to jump in in a second um, some advice we always try and uh, offer our clients is if you do offer a candidate and they've got a three-month notice period which is quite common in Salesforce um, to stay in touch as much as possible without stalking them over that three-month period because and, and we try to do it don't we but mm -hmm. you do feel like I'm ringing them again to make sure they're okay but um, you know that they can go very cold three three months is a long time and they've already resigned so yeah i'm sort of scroll through linkedin see if anything else pops up um it's difficult to, to try and keep that contact for those three months without seeming like you're being a bit needy but i don't know if you have any tips on that but i'll come back to in a second and, and sorry ben did you have another point to make on, on that subject no no i i completely agree with um what vera and penny said i mean i i like to tend to give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes but i think it is hard you know if people mess you around and, and i think there's you you can usually see if someone really has messed you around or, or maybe they have made the decision which is just better for them in their career. But, um, you know, some, sometimes that is hard to judge. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we touched on this earlier on and um, I think it was Ben that, 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 that brought it up. When, when an employer usually counter-offers a person, do we think it's mainly just because it's easier to do that than it is to let them go and try and replace them? So what do we think is going on more often than not out there or, you know, in your experience or just generally? Yeah, I'm, ha I'm happy to take that, Lee. I think, yeah, that's probably the case. I think, because I don't know, again, I will, I will leave it um, to Penny to answer for herself, but I know she'd be much nicer in this situation than I would be. <laughs> um, but, you know, somebody comes to me completely cold um, and says to me, you know, they're going to resign for more money my initial instinct is yeah all right um you know and then the kind of business side of you takes over to say okay actually you know this is quite a new skill set we do need this person they're in the middle of the project all of the rational things that then lead you down the path of, of potentially offering a counter offer but i i think that initial gut reaction is i'm pissed but i now know i need you do you know what i mean so if it was if it was entirely up to me, I'd probably just let you go. Um, because again, we haven't had a conversation. You didn't give me any heads up that we were even down, you know, 
this route. Um, but it's so much harder to replace you. And, you know, there is constant stuff in flight. Part of the challenge with managing a, a services business is you're juggling projects and people and, you know, those things never line up in the way that you want them to, right? So, you know, you're constantly under it for, for trying to make the resources and the timelines work. And I think that, yeah, in most cases, it's easier to just keep them or, and I think this is, you know, a little bit of the, the negative side coming out, you know, as an employer, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to counter you now. And then eventually I'm going to find a way to get you out of the business anyway, because I don't like how this was handled. Do you know what I mean? But I know I need you now. And so there's a little bit of a possibility that I'm saving face and, and trying to keep myself out of, you know, out of trouble here and then architecting the timeline myself. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Which is a really cynical way to look at it. Um, but, you know, again, human nature, right? Yeah. Would yeah. you agree with that, Ben? Yeah. No, I, th- I think so. I think it was kind of what I was talking about earlier with, you know, when when we we did counter people and, you know, one accepted, but um, but others di- didn't. It's still kind of, you know, should you be in the background looking for someone anyway? Because this person's, uh, you know, clearly not happy, but we do need them. Uh, which was was kind of the the underlying tone, I guess, of of that whole process when that did happen. Well, I suppose, yeah. I mean, yeah. sorry. We'll oh, I was just going to say, Teresa. I, I think it is. I agree with Vera. It is. It's a cynical situation, right? Because that ultimately, it's it's a business decision to say it's cheaper to pay this person more today than it is to replace them, right? And so, I. I wouldn't do that, though, because I would be concerned about the ripples in the culture that that causes. And I don't want to encourage that behavior. So I would rather bite the bullet and take the risk of the extra costs of backfilling that role. And um, for the benefits that that gives of hoping that other people won't try that on. Mm. Um, because I I don't want to reward, you know, I want to reward the behaviors that I want to see in the team I would rather proactively give somebody a pay rise who's exhibiting the behaviors that I value than responding to that kind of thing because Vera is absolutely right like that is just a temporary fix that is not a a permanent solution to to the problem a finger in the dike sort of episode isn't it just just (laughs) literally answered the next question which uh, which I'm still gonna I'm still gonna say anyway but these are the ramifications of if you offer someone a counter offer and they stay they're going to talk to their colleagues of course they are so what, what message does that send to the colleagues as well um uh, how, what do we think of that uh, ben did you want to go first on that one yeah i i don't think it's great i mean i, I mentioned earlier we had a we had an open salary um uh base, basically it was a spreadsheet empower so everyone could see everyone else's salaries which was pretty interesting but um this this obviously it was it was okay i think when we were smaller um and the salaries were a bit more under control you know everyone was paid paid fairly but as you start needing to um hire you know you you need people for projects so you start paying maybe more than more than what they're worth um and and you know word gets around if people get counter offered and things like that then um then yeah i think i think that can kind of taint the culture 
Um, but in, in, you know, obviously I'll let Vera and Penny answer this. I, I doubt their companies had an open salary, uh, process like ours, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it can definitely cause, it can cause a lot of gossip with people, um, and generally harm the culture. Yeah. 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 I agree. You know, I think it brings up a good point around just managing the message because to Penny's point, people, people do talk, whether it's about counter offers, about how much they make, um, and it, it becomes clear that there is a, a divide between people's worth and people's paycheck. Um, and I think you've got to be really diligent about making sure that the folks at the same level are making roundabout the same money. And to Ben's point, as you start to hire people for very specific roles of very specific projects, that gets much more difficult to do. Um, but I also think there's a bit of an onus as an employer to gut check those things like i can remember we we um landed a massive deal and we had to hire i think 20 people in the span of two weeks at a point in time um and and you did end up overpaying right and then there was a little bit of a period of time that said okay were these people worth it if not we either need to manage them into other roles or we need to level up the people around them because it's not fair. You know, it's not fair that so-and-so happen to be in the right place at the right time and, you know, getting paid five, 10 grand more than they were worth. And everybody around them is kind of looking at them as the weakest link and going, wait a minute, that person makes more money than I do. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. So I, I do think you've got to be conscious and in manage, constantly managing it and being self-aware enough to know people's value and skill set versus the money you pay them, because it's, it's the number one thing people talk about. So it's just crap. Why do they get paid so much? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I suppose moving on then, and, and I think probably know what your response, or I think I understand what your responses will be, but about the original motivation behind looking in the first place, and I know we've we've touched a lot on money because I think that tends to often drive the counter offer. But how important do you think it is that individuals should really go to their bosses first and talk about their reasons for potentially being on the market and looking around? Penny, do you want to go first on that one? Yeah, sure. I think I think that's really important. Um, I mean, at the moment, how, how realistic that is right now in the Salesforce space, I'm not sure, because things are moving so quickly and people are getting headhunted and new jobs and new types of role are being created kind of overnight in response to, to the market need. But I think um, it's it depends on the company culture, but I think that people should try and talk to their leadership and their team if they're not getting what they want out of their current role. Like that should always be your first port of call is to see whether those problems can be solved internally. Mm. Sometimes those are just too difficult to talk about, you know, like um, like Vera just mentioned there about this guy's the weakest link on the team. Why is he getting paid so much? If that guy is also supposed to be the mentor and inspiration <laughs> to everybody else, then they don't want to be necessarily throwing him under the bus and criticizing him. But if he's not serving as the person for for them to learn from, then that might be a driver to leave. Um, but I think the key thing is for candidates to figure out really what their next move is and why they're doing it. I mean, 
Ben, I, I think, is probably one of the most strategic people in the space. He's a great person to advise about making those kind of moves and understanding what your long-term objectives are. And that should be the key. I think job hopping just to earn a little bit more is a very, very short-term game. And, and I would warn anybody off doing that because, like Vera said earlier, it is a small space. And I think that will come back to haunt you. Okay. Perhaps we'll throw that question across the bend then, uh, as the strategic person is, what could people be doing to perhaps, uh, I suppose, have their little ducks in a row when it comes to their career? You know, what, what kind of things could they be doing before they get to the point of having to, to go out to the market and sort of force the issue with perhaps a resignation or something? Yeah, um, it's very kind of you to say, Penny, but um, <laughs> I, I, I suppose I kind of look at my own experiences whenever, I, whenever I've left a role, it, it's, it's usually because... I'm not progressing at the, at the at the rates that I think I should be for for the Salesforce ecosystem, mm-hmm. um, and I think for candidates, you know, most most people, especially people who are who are very ambitious, should should hold themselves to quite a high standard when it comes to uh, progression, just because there is so much opportunity out there. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's an exercise, kind of weighing up, you know, where you want to be in in a number of years' time and and your progression at the moment, um, your exposure to to different products or different types of companies, you know, um, I, I learned so much being in a, in a consultancy. Um, but ultimately, where I personally want to be in, 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 you know, sometime in the future is in is in SaaS. Um, you know, work, working in the ISV community, whether that's working for another company or founding my own um, ISV, um, and, and that's what I, I personally personally want to do. Um, so I think it's kind of weighing up the um, the whole ecosystem. You know, you've got so many different companies. You've got end users, SIs, Salesforce themselves. I'm seeing so many people going to going to Salesforce at the moment. You know, people from SIs um, going to work as solution engineers or account executives. You know, absolutely fantastic place to work. Um, so I think it's I think it's ensuring you have a good handle on the whole landscape and what what each role uh, and each type of company offers. Excellent. Yeah. Brilliant. And, um, and and Vera, sorry, did you did you comment on that point? I've lost myself. I've gone with Vera Hedda. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, I, I agree with Ben and Penny. I think it's it's about looking for your motivation and then weighing up not just this move, but long term, you know, what what the goals are. Um, mm. And I I agree with Penny. People should reach out to people in the ecosystem. Everybody phone Ben and ask them for career advice <laughs> on you know, what their next move should be. Um, but no, seriously, I think before you go and start looking around, because that's when, you know, you get into the danger zone, talk to your employer. If you don't feel comfortable talking to your employer, talk to other people in the ecosystem, because I do think sometimes what happens, unfortunately, is people get a little bit um, discouraged in the role or discouraged in the organization and make an impulsive move, assuming the grass is always greener, right? And then find themselves in an organization and really kind of hating all the same things um, or hating different things. Mm. So I do think the more conversations you can have um, and the more kind of educated you can make yourself before you go and, and start actually making any, you know, direct mm. moves, the better. Yeah. And that I'd, I'd normally say speak, speak to a recruiter would be a good thing, but maybe not in this case. because Disaster. In... Disasterly. You're going to convince everybody to leave. <laughs> I have to say that, yeah. Because, you know, you do, don't you? If you're a recruiter, you're looking at the... The list of vacancies you're working on and, and that, that's not going to fix it necessarily if, if but we try to say to people go to your boss first and if the, yeah. if, if the reason you're telling us we we believe is fixable internally 
go and do that. And I don't imagine every other recruiter does it. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Of course, we want to place people. That's what we exist for. But um, I do get that sometimes recruiters will, will, will create um, the role they think the person wants and it, mm. and it possibly isn't right for them. Um, so, yeah, having a mentor like Ben, like Penny, like you, Vera, uh, would, would be would be great for these people. Um, do we have any further thoughts? I can't believe it's been an hour already, nearly. I say that every time. Um, <laughs> That's gone very quickly. <laughs> it has, considering it's just one subject. So, um, do, do, do each of you want a little final thought on this? Maybe you know, a, a simple bit of advice for either somebody who is looking to, to, to offer a counteroffer or, or the person who's about to resign and possibly get a counteroffer, which is happening virtually every time at the moment. If, if, or if you feel like you've said enough, then, then fine. But uh, by all means, jump in and give us a little roundup if you like. My, my advice for candidates, uh, Lee, is to really own your own decision-making and take personal responsibility for what you're doing. I think sometimes candidates become too passive and that's where counter offers tend to go it becomes easy to go with whoever's pushing them the strongest to accept something mm. and I think when you know Ben and I were talking a minute ago about being more strategic that is about owning what you want and your direction and making it happen and also being realistic about what you can get there are, there are loads of candidates I meet who going from company to company to look for a role and you know they want this job where they're going to be a consultant but only bill two days a week where they're going to have the world's number one cta there to teach them <laughs> sit next next to them and teach them everything they've ever learned you know there are, there are, you know because the market is competitive I think that drives sometimes some lack of realism from from people and what they're after and I, I think we Everybody in the space needs to take personal responsibility for that. Candidates, be realistic in what you want and clear in what you want. Managers don't offer stuff that doesn't exist. <laughs> that would be my main thing. Wise words. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Ben, did you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think for employers, you know, obviously counter, counter, counter offers aren't ideal. And I think um, if, if this uh, this chat's been anything to go by, it's uh, it's kind of a resounding, um, you know, no when it comes to counter offers. But so, sometimes they are required. Um, but but I think I think more importantly is is to understand why people are are leaving the organisation. Um, Salesforce is hyper competitive. You know, candidates can go any way they want. Um, and I think something we really tried to do was really focus on our culture, really work on a uh, having a culture of feedback and really understanding people's motivations to to, to go elsewhere or, or, or why people like working for the company. And, um, you know, getting a handle on that really should help with employee retention, um, which should ultimately turn into growth for the company as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just because you can go anywhere you want that shouldn't be the case that you should go anywhere you want. You really need to think about what the next steps in your career want to yeah, be. Definitely. So, yeah, absolutely. Vera? Yeah, I think I would just echo everybody else's point. I think, you know, my big piece of advice would be don't follow the money. Because yeah. um, I do think oftentimes, uh, especially in the Salesforce ecosystem where you do get people jumping from consultancy to consultancy just for that little bit more, I think a lot of those people find themselves in a situation where you're not really fulfilled yeah. and we spend so much of our day at work. Um, and I just think, you know, if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's 
that we should be looking for, you know, our personal purpose, our organization's purpose. There's, there are things beyond the paycheck. Um, and so, yeah, try to dig deep and figure out what your motivation is. Where do you want to go? You know, is this a stepping stone on a greater career journey or is this just, you know, a shiny offer that somebody has, has put in front of you? Um, yeah. And try to, try to be a little bit more strategic with your thinking in terms of, of weighing up the pros and cons in these situations. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. brilliant. Thank That's, you. I think this is really going to help people. Um, so the thank, thank you all very much for your input. Um, and we, we'll obviously get it out there for you. Um, so, so great to hear from you all. Um, thank you as well, Teresa. Thank, thank you. So thank you, Ben. Nice to see you and, and, uh, and, and hear you Vera as well. And, um, Penny and Ben, that was fantastic. Thank you very much. And, uh, We'll see you all soon. Yeah, thanks. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. So a big thank you to Penny Townsend, Vera Loftus, Ben McCarthy, and also to Theresa Durrant for their input there into the subject of counter offers in the Salesforce industry. Um, I really hope it, it helps if you're in that position yourself. Um, hope help to give you a bit of an idea of whether you're making the right decision or not um, and whether the decision you make is, is the right one for your career long term. So yeah, if you, as always, if you'd like to um, comment on, on the podcast and what, you, what your thoughts are, if you have any, any thoughts yourself on the subject of counter offers, um, please do let us know. And also thank you to, to the guys. If you want to connect with, with any of the people on the podcast today then uh, then they're all on LinkedIn they're all quite active on LinkedIn so you should be able to find them on there and um, they're very open to, to connecting and and mentoring people so uh, do reach out um, and if it's a bit cold just just mention the podcast and I'm sure that uh, that they'll accept you um, so until next time hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll, we'll see you in the next episode <laughs>